Welcome to the Wizards of Dabs podcast, where we interview the creators of various decentralized applications in the Web3 ecosystem. We learn about how they are built and the insights that come from shipping. And we're your co-hosts. I'm Peter. And I'm Bethany. And today we're joined by Devin Fizzer from OpenSea. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so why don't you tell us a little about your background and how you got into the crypto space? Sure. So I worked in Silicon Valley as an engineer, previously worked at Pinterest, um, and then started a company in the personal finance space that was acquired by Credit Karma. And about sort of mid-2017 was when my co-founder Alex and I started getting interested in decentralized apps and Ethereum. We were both very much interested in like how do you build applications on blockchains that aren't just purely about financial speculation or about buying illegal things with Bitcoin. We're interested in like what kind of mainstream consumer experiences could you create? And so CryptoKitties, I think, was really uh, an inspiring moment for us because they really did a lot of heavy lifting to make a, a decentralized app available and usable by sort of an average person. At the time, it was still very hard to use. Um, but it was kind of a signal that the DAP layer was ready for experimentation. Um, and that led us to build OpenSea, which is sort of a general marketplace for things like CryptoKitties. I understand you spent some time at Pinterest, right? Do you think like your experience around consumer social has like shaped how you interact and kind of see the world of NFTs and crypto gaming? Yeah, I mean, I think working at a social company gives you a strong foundation in like, how do you grow a user base? How do you build a product that people engage with? Um, and I think that's still relevant in the crypto space. And in fact, to some extent, the, that kind of mentality has been forgotten a little bit with the focus on like the tech and the protocols, which I think it's kind of natural, but um, I think there's now sort of a resurgence of the fundamentals of good user experience, uh, product market fit, user engagement, all of those things, um, I think are starting to be really relevant in the, in the dApp space. I think part of the beauty of CryptoKitties was that it was very simple and people were interacting with the blockchain without really realizing they were doing it. So I think the thought that value will come kind of stands for me. I think we're still developing and building and figuring out what so we can do and experiments kind of need to be run. And then once we figure out, okay, this is the tech, this is what we can do, then more innovative ideas will come from that. But I think crypto Kitties was a, a really cool start to not not necessarily start, but a really cool idea of what could come. Yeah, so the idea for OpenSea was first we just we saw CryptoKitties and I think it was obvious at the time that there would be a lot of experimentation in the non-fungible asset space. So it, it was pretty obvious, like there would be more attempts to create games on blockchain, more attempts to create NFTs. Um, and the question was like, would there be scenarios where project developers created NFTs, but didn't necessarily have a way to trade them? Um, and that happened within like the first couple of months. Um, there were these genre of project called hot potato games. Um, and these were basically games where you had a collectible and you could uh, purchase that collectible and immediately when you had purchased it, it was on sale for a higher price. So you could purchase, uh, the first one was called crypto celebrities. So you could purchase Avril Lavigne and immediately someone could purchase it, 
um, from you for 1.1 ETH if you purchased it at 1 ETH. So that was called the hot potato mechanic. And the interesting thing about that was people had a way to sell at a higher price, but if you ever wanted to sell at a lower price, you couldn't do that on the crypto celebrity site. Um, but the interesting thing was these were ERC-721 compliant assets. So they were the same sort of breed as CryptoKitties. And so our marketplace actually worked with them. And our first sort of instance of miniature product market fit was allowing people to sell these celebrity collectibles at a lower price. Um, and so that was kind of where uh, we were like, okay, this is interesting. Like this is kind of a way to enable efficient markets for assets that maybe have limited liquidity or no liquidity if there's no marketplace. Um, and then shortly after Crypto Celebrities, there were kind of tens of more hot potato games, but there were also um, centralized apps that built unique digital assets, but had no way of exchanging them. Um, and that was really the, the moment that we discovered like, oh, this is an interesting idea because you can basically have a marketplace that exists entirely independently of the original experience around the NFTs, but enables liquidity. Um, and so it's a, basically a marketplace that game developers or anyone building an NFT can immediately plug into and allow their users to buy and sell assets without having to build all that infrastructure themselves. Initially, you built something that captured a community of hot potato games, right? And you, it's interesting that you mentioned it enables such a simple thing was, you know, it enabled people to sell those crypto celebrities at a lower price. What were some other trends that followed the development of OpenSea as you saw the community build more dApps? Yeah, so I think the, the biggest trend over the last year has just been um, quality improvements in the types of experiences that are available with unique digital assets on a blockchain, right? So with CryptoKitties, um, CryptoKitties did a great job. Like they built a, a relatively simple experience. There was an, a sort of interesting breeding game mechanic, um, but there was a lot more that you could experiment with on the gaming side. And so over the last year, we've just seen um, a lot of teams, um, higher and higher quality teams push out projects that have real gameplay associated with them. So. Um, there's now numerous examples of this, but um, one of the most well-known ones is Gods Unchained, which is building sort of a, a Hearthstone, um, which is a trading card game for the blockchain. Zombie Battleground, I think there's like five or six different projects that are doing trading card games. Um, there's uh, projects like War Riders, which is doing kind of an MMORPG, um, Ember Sword, which is a similar RPG. So I think the the main trend that we've seen is just you know, the life cycle of games is pretty long, right? There, There is a, a long lag time um, in the development of games. And I think it just takes time for people to build interesting experiences with NFTs. Um, and I think that's happening right now. I think it's still a really exciting time to be in the space. Who were the first NFT projects using the marketplace? Yeah, so the first technically was, uh, was CryptoKitties in that we provided this very secondary marketplace outside of CryptoKitties. It was interesting because for CryptoKitties, like our volume is always pretty low because they have an in-game marketplace. So the real, the, the particularly interesting ones were 
first crypto celebrities and then uh, a game called Mythereum, which was like a very early trading card game and still around. And they basically had a, a way to battle your cards, but absolutely no marketplace. So the uh, market was entirely hosted by OpenSea. And it was almost like it felt a lot like Magic the Gathering, where you can buy the initial packs from the company, but then the company doesn't have its own marketplace. It leaves that to eBay. And so after that, there were projects like um, Crypto Saga, which was another RPG. Ethereumon was sort of a fast follow to CryptoKitties. They had their own marketplace, but then they added accessories that were only tradable on uh, open marketplaces like OpenSea. And most recently, the one of the biggest projects is called My Crypto Heroes, which is a game out of Japan. And they're now really at the top of the charts in terms of volume. They do around like 500 or 600 ETH worth of volume on our marketplace every week. So it's maturing. Um, there's a lot of things coming online. We see a new project every couple of days, a new high quality project every couple of days. Are you in touch with many of these projects yourself? Because um, I'm curious to understand if they're all fairly aligned in the philosophy of how to go about building crypto games or do they have interesting takes on it? Um, yeah, so we, we are in touch with most of them. Um, I guess one note on how our platform works is anyone who has an ERC721 contract deployed on Ethereum can immediately leverage OpenSea. There's really no hand-holding or integration work on our end required. Um, if you're compliant with the, the standard and you add sort of metadata in compliance with the standard, like it's it can be completely self-serve. That said, we, of course, like are in touch with Not tons of the projects that work with us to you know help them through any technical issues, help them market, that type of stuff. Uh, so we do get a pretty good pulse of like what, what people are working on and what people are interested in. Cool. Are you guys um, well in touch with your users of the platform? Yep. Yeah. Our our users tend to hang out in our Discord channel and other game Discord channels. So that's kind of our main channel for customer support. Um, but yeah, we definitely hear a lot from our users. Who normally uses um, OpenSea? Got any like super users? Yeah, there are a couple like power users. Um, so I think what's interesting is one of the things that blockchain gaming enables is for new user types to access games through different experiences. So what I mean by that is in a traditional game, everyone would kind of go through the same vertically integrated gaming experience, right? For the most part, right? Like you have Farmville, everyone's seeing the same view of Farmville. They're all like playing it within the Facebook canvas, you know, it's a unified experience. With crypto games, what's interesting is you can access and and play around with these games through many different interfaces like some people might be using you know a mobile wallet some people might be looking purely at OpenSea to figure out the best trading strategies and kind of completely ignore the actual gameplay associated with the items. So I think what we have now, and I think it's very early in this, but we, we've noticed that there are a couple of users that we kind of think of as primarily like crypto game moneymakers slash traders who are really looking at games from primarily an investment perspective as opposed to like a fun gameplay perspective which I think is, is healthy. I mean, it's interesting. It's, I, I think it's, it'll lead to the maturation of these markets where games that want to enable high degrees of liquidity for those assets can plug into these, this, this group of traders who are really interested in looking at things like from, from a market making perspective. 
so so those people tend to be like you know there's there's a guy who's kind of very deep into decentraland and has a whole suite of blog posts about how to value land he's i think he's made quite a lot of money uh buying and selling decentraland there's folks in the Axie community who are very knowledgeable about what makes a particular Axie valuable. Axie has done a really good job kind of enforcing their scarcity over time to make Axies really potential investments. So, so I think those are those are kind of the power users of OpenSea because you know they're looking at they're they're using us to buy and sell, and they're also looking at some of the tools we have around market history and and like the various stats we have on the on the different games. I think there can be a variety of strategies. Uh, to take one example with Decentraland, there's not much you can do in the Decentraland universe yet. There, there. I mean, actually, I'm sorry. There is, there's a lot. There's their SDK. There's um, their tool set for building stuff. But you can't actually go into the Decentraland universe yet. So, but if you believe in the Decentraland project and you think it has potential and you've done your research, buying land is potentially a really good investment if there are people that are going to want to buy it in the future or want to develop on it. So sort of doing your background research on what's the what's a good price for a piece of land, uh, how much potential does it have? Uh, those are all like things that a trader would want to do. And OpenSea is kind of a tool set for that. Um, and then for projects that leverage OpenSea as the marketplace, OpenSea is oftentimes the, the place Place where you can get the highest degree of liquidity, right? So with my crypto here is, for example, you know, 99.999% of the trading activity on my crypto here is happens on OpenSea. And so if you're going to participate in that market, you know, that's the place to be. For other markets, there are these uh, sort of primary markets that exist within the original experience that might um, also be a place that you want to participate. So I saw on the um, OpenSea website that people can create the marketplace for their ERC-721 assets for free, and then they earn revenue on every um, secondary sale of their items. How is it monetized? Yeah, so our model is that anyone can create an OpenSea marketplace and OpenSea at the moment always takes a 2.5% cut of every secondary sale. So listing as a user, listing on OpenSea is completely free. In fact, done a lot of work to ensure that users don't have to pay gas to to create listings, except for the sort of, except for some initial setup transactions. But we will always, at the moment, our model is we take a percentage of the secondary sale. Game developer can set whatever percentage they want on the secondary sale as well. So if you want to take, so as an example, um, this game, My Crypto Heroes, takes a 7.5% cut on every secondary sale on OpenSea. Um, and so they've earned, I think, like 500 or 600 ETH in pure revenue from uh, from hosting an open sea market, and I, I think the the reality is like what users want the highest degree of liquidity for their items, right? If if I'm a user, what I care most about is getting my items sold, and I care about getting in front of buyers, right? I'm not necessarily going to be nitpicky about the fee, and in fact, if I want to support the project, then I might even be happy paying a secondary sale fee to the project when I when I sell my item. So what we've seen is that users, you know, if users want to find each other in Discord and do peer-to-peer -peer swaps, private sales are always feeless. Um, so you don't we don't charge anything on private sales. But but I think users are willing to pay for the exposure that they get by 
listing on OpenSea. Um, and from a project developer standpoint, we want to always make it a win to leverage the OpenSea marketplace versus going and like rolling your own marketplace. So it should be a win from a technology standpoint. It should be easier to set up a marketplace on OpenSea, but it should also be a win from a business model standpoint. So we think the the revenue share model that we have is is like very vital to our business because if if that wasn't the case, then these project developers would sort of view these secondary marketplaces as as parasitic to the business. We want to make them symbiotic to the business. Okay, that makes a lot of sense because I was wondering what the incentive is for them to allow trades to happen on OpenSea. You mentioned um, private sales via Discord. Do you know how common that is versus actually on the platform? So the the private sale is still through the platform. You create, you can basically go to OpenSea, sell your item and specify the address of the buyer. So it's basically if you've coordinated offline with the buyer. And the benefit of it is that actually it, it solves the problem of there's a lot of like communication that goes on in Discord like negotiating prices, that type of thing. But when it comes to actually selling the item, there is this, this counterparty risk if you don't use a platform, right? So if I'm the holder of a CryptoKitty and I find some, some random person on Discord that says they'll buy it for two ETH, you know, how do you actually make that transaction happen, right? Do you transfer the CryptoKitty first or does the ETH come first? That's like the classic, the classic problem in markets, right? This private sale feature allows users to coordinate that without between two specific users without having to list it on the general marketplace. Okay. You mentioned that the game developers are, they, they can set their rev share kind of percentage. Otherwise, of course, like it would be a parasitic relationship. Are they generally happy with that model? Yep. I think game developers love that model. I think um, the most interesting thing has been that a lot of people don't know about it. So I think uh, in the centralized gaming world, the paradigm is build, if you're going to build a marketplace, you should build your own marketplace um, and sort of third party marketplaces that exist in the centralized world always tend to be somewhat hard to use, um, sometimes used for, uh, sometimes shut down by the original game. Um, and sometimes they do increase the spread of the game by sort of exposing them to a secondary market. To, to another group of users, but it's always like this kind of tense relationship. So I think that's kind of the model that people are working with and getting the model of revenue share and symbiosis between the original project and the secondary marketplace is kind of a new thing. Um, but the games that we've done it with have been super, My Crypto Heroes, for example, I think is the main kind of uh, exemplary use case or exemplary project that is use it. They're really happy with it. And some other projects that we've told about it are very surprised and then really excited about it. Yeah, it is a really cool relationship that hasn't really been explored. So I can see why they're happy with it. It's, it's did you explore any other business models? We haven't. Yeah, we haven't yet. But I think there there are certainly a lot to be explored. Um, so I think some of the ones we've thought about, which we haven't implemented, are being able to promote listings using so like if you're a seller and you want to get to the top of OpenSea so that more people can see your thing maybe you pay a little extra for that right so there's kind of this uh, a little bit of an advertising business model there um, we've also thought about i think down the road um, we think while the well alex and i weren't super excited about kind of the activity that happened with the ico boom and we think a lot of the 
the token models for, for some of these projects could have been thought through a little more. I do think there are interesting things to do with tokens. So uh, if you can imagine having a an OpenSea token that's used for uh, referrals to the marketplace, or uh, you know maybe certain items are only available in the OpenSea token, and you can earn it by participating somehow in the marketplace. I think there's there's lots of like clever things like that. We just think the first step is really just building a product that works. Um, and then and then you kind of have the opportunity to experiment a lot more after that. Have you ever thought of actually turning um, OpenSea eventually into a Dell? I mean, you mentioned how like centralized services, right? And marketplaces like Steam, they've been known to just slam the dictatorship rulings onto everyone every now and then, right? And there's definitely just this tense relationship of like, what are they going to do now? So I think it'd be really interesting to like, you know, right now you have a rev share model happening. You know, I think it might be really interesting to even have sort of a rev share alongside um, governance, similar to how Aragon is enabling uh, token voting governance of their yeah. platform. Yeah, no, I, I think I definitely think so. I think um, like ultimately there's a huge business model shift in the blockchain space as a whole. And we're operating in kind of an interesting, we're, we're kind of straddling between two different business models. On the one hand, there's this world of open protocols, right? Where open source is the new thing, or I mean, it's been around for a while, but everything's open source. You capture value through a token as opposed to these sort of data silo models of Facebook and Google, right? Then on the other hand, there's our business, which is kind of a, in some ways a traditional business, right? We were a marketplace. We care about user growth. We, um, you know, we take a percentage fee of the sales. And so like we're, we're operating kind of a standard business on top of this new blockchain-based world. And so I think what will be interesting is to see whether whether a traditional business model ends up working for us or whether ultimately we have to sort of embrace fully embrace some of the uh, new business models of open protocols. And that might mean making a token, for example, and use and, and as you said, using that for governance. I think it's a it's kind of an open question at the moment whether sort of web two style businesses will be interesting on top of open protocols or whether it'll be more interesting to shift to a truly like blockchain native business model. I'm not sure. Like I think it could go either way. But I do think that some of these projects sort of I guess put the cart before the horse by trying to figure out all of their crypto economic incentives before there was real consumer adoption or, or product market. So that's, yeah, we're, we're sort of focused on that before we dive super deep into figuring out the perfect like crypto economic system. You mentioned earlier about how like because there are everything's built on the open protocol and the game experience isn't exactly confined to just one environment, right? You can share game environments and contexts with various games all at once. For example, my Ethereum with the CryptoKitty cards. What do you think about the opportunities around uh, shared coordination efforts around user education or even acquisition and distribution? Yeah, I mean, users? I think it's a huge opportunity. So uh, I... As you mentioned, one of the unique elements of these games is that the items can be used in many different contexts. And I think that's what we learned. I think that was kind of the signal that we saw from CryptoKitties was these layer two games, um, Kitty Hats, which allowed you to accessorize your CryptoKitties, Kitty Race, which allowed you to race your CryptoKitties. And I think there's also an opportunity from, a, as you mentioned, like a customer acquisition standpoint, when you have a community of users, albeit sort of a small community at the moment, but if you have a community of users that are all that all hold a particular asset, 
that's a really interesting opportunity to um, provide additional value to each of those assets through like a layer two experience, right? So um, you could imagine like immediately marketing to a community by saying all of the people who hold this asset are now able to play this new game with that item. Um, and that's valuable to the original project because it increases the value of the items. And it's valuable to the new project because they don't have to create a community from scratch. Um, so I think that happened like at a sort of microscopic level with uh, Kitty Race and Kitty Hats. It, I think it was just a little too early for like either of those to be more than just side projects. Um, but I think it could happen at a much, I, I think I have strong hopes that it will happen um, on a much grander scale for some of the new assets that come online. Yeah, it sounds like a really cool strategy having that interrelationship. I wonder if the original game would do a spinoff where they're also providing the secondary layer to it, or if it would be someone completely new coming in and if there would be synergies between the two. I would assume it's adding value to both of them, but it would be interesting if it's actually... Um, viewed that way or if there's like a little competition yeah i think like what i'm interested in is games that are set up for synergies with layer two uh projects right so i think the game can always add new elements to it but but you know that was true with existing games it could add new features and things like that um but the real exciting thing here is you can you can open up in theory you can open up the game to really any third-party developer doesn't have to have any sort of business relationship with the original game to go and create interesting experiences. And if you can somehow incentivize that, I think there there's a lot of there's a lot of ways you could um, through uh, in, like fee sharing through smart contracts. There's, there's just a lot. The design space is really broad. Um, but if you can figure out the right incentive mechanisms, I think that's what's really exciting. Is it can be a win-win for the original game and the the second layer projects. A lot of games are being built on Tron and Neos right now. They're really blowing up. And I've seen a lot of activity and steady growth in that area. And with Tron, they're releasing around 10, 20, 30 um, dApps nowadays per month. And they barely had any at the end of last year, actually. And I've talked to one Tron developer who is who's also a Ethereum developer previously. And he built this dApp called Faceworths. And he actually wanted to build a, um, this dApp called Faceworths. And he built on Tron mainly because, you know, the TPS was just higher and your user transaction confirmations were about one to two to three seconds, you know. Do you see like a trend of game developers developing on Tron, EOS, and even POA just simply because they don't require that level of security on the main net? Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't followed, I, I've been trying to get a better grasp of like whether the activity on Tron how to measure the activity on Tron EOS because, you know, the fact that it is cheaper to do transactions means that you can put a lot more on chain, right? So it might be um, just as interesting of a game on Ethereum that uses Ethereum for the asset ownership, but then takes most of the gameplay off chain that shows up much lower in the rankings because they're, they're not doing as many transactions. So I think it's hard to 
like read into the the metrics. That being said, I yeah, it does seem like there are high quality gaming teams that are very interested in using EOS as a platform. I'm, I'm not as familiar with the Tron space, but that was that's an interesting data point that you mentioned. Um, I would say yeah, we're we're looking into both chains. Um, it's we're still kind of in the research mode. We're really waiting for amazing kind of user experiences that are built on both of those apps that leverage NFTs and can benefit from a marketplace. We also look really closely at uh, web analytics for these projects, right? We don't read too much into EOS and Tron transaction volume. We'll go to the we'll go to the website and we'll click on like there's a, a product called Simple Web that or Similar Web and it basically lets you look at how much traffic the site has had. And so we're more interested in like are there sites with decent number of people actually using it and, and high valuations that you added and things like that. So I think it's important to take that take these these chains with a grain of salt. That said, I we're not at all wedded to the Ethereum ecosystem. And I think if we see smoke of similar ecosystems of you know healthy, vibrant ecosystems evolving on Tron and EOS, we'll 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 be going there. We're we're just we're kind of like still in in the research phase at the moment. Um, but I, I to your broader question about are developers moving to higher throughput chains? I think definitely. Um, like there's a there's a lot of movement to certainly side chains on Ethereum, so like the Loom network. I think the Cosmos launch is going to be really interesting once that develops a little more and there's there's more like smart contract development that you could do at Cosmos. So yeah, developers definitely care about that, but they also care about the ecosystems. So if if there's not you know we not to like toot our own horn but uh there was one project recently that decided to build on ethereum because or one of the reasons to build on ethereum was because you know there are projects like OpenSea that allow you to to plug into them you know there's the DeFi space there's stable coins there's all of this infrastructure that's being built on ethereum um that might not exist on tron or eos and sort of you're sort of like left to the to build everything yourself right so I think that about wraps things up. I'd just like to thank you for taking time to sit and speak with us today. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed what you listened to and are interested in supporting this podcast, then please follow us on Twitter at Wizard of Dabs. The show notes will be on our website. And if you want to continue the conversation, join our Telegram group. All links will be in the episode description. Thanks for listening.